phrase like guys night guys night yeah, i like it uh i've been working on our the questionnaire the better okay. than questionnaire yep it's a work in progress i'll we'll do some test runs but i was thinking of adding how do you feel about thanksgiving food to it oh okay a year-long thing because it's become kind of a, a fashionable thing nowadays i don't know if it's because social media internet culture incentivizes people to kind of like hate on everything yep but it's been kind of fashionable lately to like dump on thanksgiving food You're like oh turkey's not that good oh mashed potatoes are overrated all that stuff so i wanted to get your take on thanksgiving food yay or nay what do you think um first of all too many opinions there's too many opinions out there okay we agree on that okay yeah thanksgiving food's fantastic I think I would almost say we should have more more holidays should adopt Thanksgiving food. Yeah. When do you feel better for those three days of Thanksgiving and then the leftovers? It's a fantastic time. You feel better. You're sleepy. Everyone likes sleep. Not enough people are sleeping. Have more Thanksgiving holidays. Or create like, okay create a holiday and say this is now like a sister city okay you know how international cities have sister cities eyes are looking at me like i'm I'm crazy um but sister holidays food wise okay so you add some holidays and you say you know what instead of creating a whole new like palette or or menu for this new holiday we've created this is this is uh thanksgiving adjacent okay or i mean you could we already have so many holidays you just you add some meaning to some you know like tree day or something like that where you, you, you put and you it. have thanksgiving food on arbor day and shouldn't we all be thankful more throughout the year except for this one day and i know you're gonna get into the political situation of the of the pilgrims and the native americans i know i know how you roll me no no, i'm not not this year okay uh but don't you think there should be more thankful holidays i think everybody should practice gratitude every day of the year oh boy okay except for earth day it's almost like a hallmark executive talking right now no so hey so i'm uh i'm i'm half and half with you on your sister holiday thing what i was thinking is make thanksgiving food seasonal Mm. You know how people, you can grill pretty much from April, May through September-ish. Yeah. You know, it's acceptable to, to grill all summer. Yeah. So what if we make Thanksgiving food an autumn thing? You, think, you know, everybody oh. has turkey. Pumpkin pie is like a dessert. You don't have to go out for the whole feast every meal. But pumpkin pie is like a traditional dessert from autumn from like mm-hmm. October through January-ish. Let's extend it into March, I say. March to February? I say we have a holiday in March where we we retire our, uh, you know, our cold weather foods. It's called St. Patrick's Day. You have corned beef and hash. No, no, no. And um, I don't think that's, I don't think people associate that though. Well, I said we have another Thanksgiving in four months and that celebrates the end of our thankfulness and the end of our sleepy foods. 
See, I think you're missing the opportunity to have St. Patrick's Day be a kind of purge of thankfulness. Okay. Because everybody gets drunk and throws up in the gutter. Mm. So, <laughs> not everybody. Not everybody. You know what I mean. Symbolically. Symbolically. Um, it, it, you do make a good point about how the Thanksgiving foods are very tied, in my mind, to sort of cold weather. Time. Yeah, it's like an autumnal thing. But you're pro Thanksgiving food. I'm very pro Thanksgiving. Food. Okay, I've been hearing a lot of takes recently. I don't, I, you know, I don't. It's, I really do think it's because people are incentivized to kind of just hate on things. Guy on the radio the other day was talking about oh, turkey's a terrible meat. It's like, no, I mean, come on. It's, I, I, it's there's so much time to fill, you know, content wise. Yeah, of course. You have a hot take. Bad hot take. I hate mashed potatoes. Now, here's the thing. Would I want to eat all these foods all the time? No. But I think stuffing could stick around for more. Stuffing know? is actually my favorite. So what's your favorite Thanksgiving food? Rank, give me a top, rank the top. Well, when we talk about all these things, there's always a hint of how your family or someone in your family makes it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can qualify it. Okay. Favorite Thanksgiving foods. I love stuffing. Stuffing's top three. Okay. Uh, turkey. I like turkey, but it's not going to be my number one. Okay. Um, pumpkin pie. Top five. Number one. The tough one. The tough one. Um, I like a good casserole. Okay. Green bean casserole. Yeah, yeah. My aunt used to make a pineapple casserole. That was very good. So that, that's where it kind of gets like, you don't know that because you haven't had it, but it's associated with my Thanksgiving. I'll trust you. I won't rip yeah. I would say uh, uh, some sort of casserole is number one. I'm a, I'm a big casserole fan. Anytime you just let a bunch of food cook for a while in a, in a casserole dish, sign me up. So That's a weird answer, but uh, generally casseroles are number one for me. Yeah, that's not weird. That's a solid, that's a solid. Let me ask you now, because I know you want to answer this question. I was hoping you would. Okay. All right. What's your number one, man? Well, no, let's go. So I'll give you a top, the the top three. Top three. Okay. All right. Top four. Everyone get their pen and paper ready. Yeah. I'm with you. Stuffing is probably my favorite. Stuffing is probably number one. Then I have a quick question. Can you have bad stuffing? It burnt, overcooked. Okay. No, not really. Okay. Unless it's burnt, or, you know. But like, okay. stuffing. Stuffing's three. One or through whatever. Oh, uh, I like green bean casserole with green bean casserole. Is very good. So much sodium. I love it. And you know, uh, we usually have creamed corn. And I, the turkey's kind of solid. It's there. It's actually not my favorite of the meats, but I like it at Thanksgiving. But the homemade gravy my mom makes is good on the mashed potatoes and the turkey. And so, like, I'm going to say homemade gravy is in there. An honorable mention, too, I did not like this at all when I was a kid, but it's really grown on me. Do you have the sweet, the baked sweet potatoes with baked the marshmallow on oh. That up there now that I'm an adult and my taste has matured. I mean, I would would think that's a more elementary taste. That's a more, you know, young, sugary, 
doesn't care. Ooh, I, like I like the marshmallows when I was a kid, but I did not like the baked sweet potato. But now I like to enjoy the baked sweet That's potato. very good. That's very good. Uh, can I do a special shout out for a good roll? Right? Yeah. A nice homemade roll. a good roll, roll a homemade roll, hot roll to soak up some of the gravy that, that's escaping some of the other stuff. He just kind of... I, I, I'm a really big, do all work together. It's a fantastic know? food holiday. You make a little, a little uh, volcano, like hole with your spoon and the mashed potatoes, and fill it up with gravy, and you know maybe kind of a little slit in the mound to work into the turkey that's blocking it off. You can almost play like army guys with your food. You know what I thought just in the last fifteen seconds? I think as Americans, we struggle to identify what is an America, like what's an American thing. Because like, we're a hodgepodge. Yeah. And we all think, and I love that, but there's something about how we explain Thanksgiving food I think is uniquely American. Like I, if you were like from a different country or culture, you'd be like, oh, that's kind of strange. How they're very specific about how they plate the food, how they eat the food, how they mix the food, the order in which they eat the food on this holiday, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think we appreciate how much we thought about this. You know? Mm-hmm. I Maybe. feel like we go to other cultures and we're like, oh, they think about stuff so much. Oh, the Italians, they think about pasta and they think about, you know, how they dine and how they, the, the wine and all this stuff. We sort of don't appreciate or don't praise our weird Thanksgiving traditions enough. Maybe you're right. Is that a hot take? Is that wrong? Is that correct? Your thoughts? I don't know how it was back in the day. Maybe now these young young bums calling Thanksgiving food overrated. Mm. Maybe they don't appreciate it. You know, because, okay, so here's what I was thinking. Uh, When you talk about the typical American food, mm-hmm. whatever. Yes, most people, I think they'd think like hot dog, hamburger, hamburger or something. But should we consider Thanksgiving food? I think it should be. That's kind of a, because it is kind of a, it, didn't it spring from like the pilgrimage stuff? That's why it's a turkey. It's because they used to sh- put on those funny hats and belt buckles and shoot turkeys with blunderbuss. Mm-hmm. Here's the issue, I think, with that. If we were on the, uh, America cultural um, committee to promote America across the world. So we don't have a fast food restaurant, really. We used to, and I don't think it's around anymore. What? That promotes, we used to have a, what's called Boston Market, I believe. Oh, I thought you said, oh, okay. I, was okay. Saying, I thought you were saying we don't have fast food here. I was like, no, we don't have the fast food Thanksgiving food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what we need to promote America fast mm. Thanksgiving food. I think there's already plenty of American fast food in other countries. I I agree, but it's all the hamburger, chicken. Yeah, it's McDonald's. So you and I, we've created this new branch of the government. Okay. The U.S. government has given us, uh, throw out a number. Give me a number. Two million. No, higher than that. 10 million? $35 million. Okay. We have to promote American Thanksgiving food. I think the first thing we do is we try to create a fast food company. Mm, no, let's be more niche than that. I don't want to be just okay. fast food because that's your typical ugly down. thing. 
is to make the rest of the world fat like America. No, 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 no. I don't think, I think it's sleepy, mostly. It's we're going to be artisanal. No, no, no. So I'm saying we're not doing fast food. We're doing artisanal, traditional Thanksgiving. We're branded That's not fast America, food. though. That's not America, though. It could be. If you, came to the, if you came to the United States and be like, I know we're supposed to visit during the summer, but I got cheap tickets. I don't know where these uh, people are from. Um, pick a place. Give me a place in the, in the world. That's not America. Uh, Belize. Belize. We're in Belize. And we're like, hey, dad comes home. I got, I got tickets to Pittsburgh. We're going to Pittsburgh. Okay. But we have to go during Thanksgiving. It's going to be a little cold, but we're gonna, we've always wanted to visit America. We go to America. Have a great time in Pittsburgh. We turn on the TV. Thanksgiving Day. We're watching people play football. We don't understand football. What are they doing? They're eating huge turkey legs. It's not artisanal, okay? We have to we have to lean into that, right? Okay. We have I'm this guy with- John Madden who's who has passed away. R.I.P. He drives a bus around. He has this thing called a truducken. It's a turkey duck something or other. That's wild. That's wild. We take that information back to police. No one's gonna believe us, right? I am down to tour the world on a bus like John Madden. Deep fried turkey and traditional Thanksgiving food, and we invite people to come on the bus with us. And like, what do you think about this? This cream corn and this casserole and all that. Those casseroles, yeah. That's a TV show. Can we pitch this as a TV show? Okay, I think you. I think we've hit on something. I, you have hit on something. Let's it's called that. what is that what's the bus called the there will be books the turkey mobile turkey mobile it's a little wordy hmm. call it parts unknown no we can't call it parts unknown. Do that. no reservations um because i think there is something there we should be proud of this we i don't think we should be ashamed that we eat this this grouping of food right I think because I think people have become ashamed of eating the Thanksgiving food. Bring it full circle. I'm glad you pro Thanksgiving, and that's going on our questionnaire. Okay. Oh, that's that's how this started. I forgot. I forgot. Let's pitch this TV show. So we're on. That'd be fun to do a TV show. You and I. I was watching the Anthony Bourdain biography, Roadrunner. Yeah. It's good. Made me want to have a a food show too. And on that note, welcome to There Will Be Books, a podcast about books and Thanksgiving food. I'm Peter, joined as always by Matt. That was a good intro, Matt. I gotta say, that was one of our better intros. Timely, too. I don't even, yeah, we are recording this the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, where would you rank this holiday in the, in the, uh, the list of uh, American holidays? It's not really celebrated anywhere else. I mean, American holidays is probably. How about we go holidays in general? It's in the 4th of July. I like it. I like it way more than 4th of July. Yeah. There's no. Those are the two big American. Those are the big ones. I like Christmas is my favorite, but I really like Thanksgiving because it's kind of like part of the ramp up to Christmas. Yeah, I agree. Know what I mean? And I like just hanging out. And I think Thanksgiving is a good holiday. And I don't appreciate all the kind of retro revisionist hipsters trying to be all cool and poo-pooing. It's like, you know what? Let's just enjoy. Are we making a stand? 
Taking the stand. We're pro Thanksgiving. Pro Thanksgiving. I think we're pro. Yeah, we're pro the food. We're pro the all the good stuff. All right, let's end the episode. No, I'm just kidding. Cool. All right, see you next time. Uh, tonight we got a bit. We we're gonna do. We're gonna pick a new book. Uh, but I think what we're gonna start off with is I've been reading some uh, quite a few books on the side. New yeah. books, so new releases. Um, I would say new releases in the United States. But I know we have international listeners. So, and I have been on a hot streak. Okay of reading some really good books so i wanted to kind of shout those shout out those books as possible holiday add to your maybe uh christmas list uh in the next month or use as a gift idea to give to a um, family member or you know whatever and you have a bookish person in your life the bookish person in your life who you might find annoying to buy for okay um but these would be books that they maybe may have read may not have read but they're not like classics so they high chance of people not you know haven't bought these books i got all these books from the library that makes my wife very happy i'm not spending a large amount of money on new books which is very expensive um so i have that and you also have some books that you've uh kind of been perusing audio kind of i've been reading extra stuff too so i got it we got we got that and then we'll get into our november um nominations so a little bit of a uh, dual book a lot of recommendations i think on this episode right yeah it's a jam-packed episode it's a jam-packed episode that we started off with thanksgiving food is good pro thanksgiving don't um <laughs> How about this? Yeah. What is one Thanksgiving food you don't like that we can kind of. Well, it's not that I don't like it, but as far as we always had pies at Thanksgiving, my favorite pie is cherry Uh, pecan pie. Okay. Not the, not the pumpkin pie. I like pumpkin pie, but it's not my go-to. I like the cherry or the pecan. So that's what I'm looking forward to i'm alone in the house right now the kids asleep the wife's gone and i'm alone with a freshly baked cherry pie so, so I, at I, any I, moment two things could happen one this this pot this episode has a dramatic cut where i have to cut and matt goes checks on his kid the second thing that could happen and what's more likely is matt just leaves the computer and goes and eats a pie you can hear me chewing on a piece of pie and then i gotta maybe blame it on the dog could blame it on the dog. Okay. Yeah. Podcast yeah. producer. Okay. So that those are all options. So if you're listening from here on out, those are three options that we could do. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Pumpkin pie, not my favorite of the pies. Okay. Um, cranberry sauce. Cranberry is mm, yeah. When done right, I like. When done wrong, I don't like. But I'm not gonna take that and be like, oh. Thanksgiving food is bad. No, we're not doing that. Well, and it's part of the, you know, it seems like a very pilgrimy thing. It's not the sweetest or juiciest of fruits, but it's mm. the pilgrims use it to stuff their arrow wounds from the Indian attacks. And so we make a sauce. Is that a real fact? Or you just make that up? Mm-hmm. I don't know. We're going to send this to the travel channel. Okay. So make the rest of it, make the rest of it good. Okay. This is going to be our demo for... <clears throat> Do you want to start? I feel like I should just 
when we say the books we've been reading on the side, just go through them each our list. And yeah. Do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? It doesn't matter. Let me go. I'll do my Nick Tosh's book. Yes. And then we'll go to you and then we'll come back and I can go through some other stuff. They're like subjects. But the Nick Tosh's book, I read the whole thing thinking it would be uh, relevant to our Eight Men Out sports gambling episode. Yes. Nick Tosh's wrote a biography of Arnold Rosting called King of the Jews. And it wound up not quite being what I thought it was. Okay. Uh, let's see where to start. It's not so much a biography as Nick Tosh's research project. Okay. Let me say I really enjoyed it. I I love Nick Tosh's and his writing. Uh, the Devil and Sonny Liston is probably my favorite book of his that I've read, and I recommend that to you, to almost anybody. Uh, Dino was a fun book of his that I read, his biography, Dean Martin. Okay. So this so, was on my list, and I got it. From what I, how you describe it, and I kind of like this type of book, is it more... Nick Tosh is a character in his own sort of nonfiction book. No, yeah. some of his fiction book, he is a character in okay. his fiction books. But his nonfiction, like, <clears throat> so I figured it'd be a biography more on the lines of Dean, the Dean Martin one or the Sonny Liston one, mm -hmm. which is the through, the person is the through line, but you can also kind of riff on the cult, like what was going on yeah. in the culture that time, the state of boxing, like in the Sonny Liston. And this one started with, you know the the Roman so this the, there's a legend that the Roman soldiers were gambling at the foot of the cross as Jesus was being crucified. I'm like, okay, because we're headed towards the guy who supposedly fixed the World Series. I'm like, oh, this is great. We're going all the way back. And he starts talking about how in the Old Testament is a real thing. Mm. The word Elohim for like God is actually, if you read the the Hebrew text, it's plural. Okay. So everyone has this notion that it's always been singular. He has always been singular. And, you know, the, that tradition comes from the beginning of monotheism. And he starts, you know, starts in with the whole, there's chapters about how no Elohim is plural. And Jehovah is just one among many gods. And I mean, I was like, okay, where's this, where's this going? And we start, and then we get into, and he's, keeps moving and we go into like Rothstein's ancestors and we get German settlement in Russia. Catherine the Great was trying to encourage immigration. So we're like German settlements in Russia and it's interspersed with uh, transcripts from, he got shot, I think in 1930. Okay. He gets shot in the stomach, lingers for a week or so and then dies. And there's kind of nobody to this day knows who shot him but he changed his will at the last minute. So there's some shady stuff. And so it's, all this stuff is interspersed with trial transcripts and it seems random, but I, I know his work and I'm like, okay, where is this going? This is going to be really good. And then halfway through, he kind of just stops and he's, he can tell, he's just kind of at a certain point, he continues with the immigration stuff. And we get like a history of New York city yeah. and architectural and the layouts and i was kind of reminded remembering masters of atlantis that ghostwriter they hire yeah works bunch of stuff in peru about it because the last book he had a bunch of stuff on peru he didn't want to waste and i'm like what is is this what is happening here he's a good enough writer i'm entertained by it it doesn't slog 
but you know the, the part of your mind that's looking for a, a through line you're like where is this going is <laughs> does it feel like a collection of essays that was a sort of it felt oh. like research it was like okay. this is where my research has taken me and i'm waiting for the through line i'm sure it's coming and then you get to this this is him i'm quoting here when i set out to write this book i was intrigued by the figure of arnold rostein i still am but as i researched more deeply i came to see that the picture of him that history gave us was wrong was i to offer a different picture was i to take a man's life and make of it an exercise and in interpretation was I to claim to have arrived at the truth? Was I to fabricate, fabricate a riveting portrait by hiding an aspect of him and presenting another without ever knowing, and then who could, aspects of him which held weight and meaning for him and his life as he lived it? This would be to compound the misunderstanding that already was. And my little notes on the side of that, was I to offer an exercise and in interpretation? I have a yes, question mark. Uh, yeah, that's your, yeah. He, but you can see him kind but of I, give up and he. I kind of, I, it's, it's, this kind of well, sounds fascinating because it sounds like who is to any, like any biographer, how can they actually distill someone's life really without. But my two other favorite books of his are him doing exactly that. Okay. Right. He doesn't do this with Dean Martin or Sonny Liston. But I think the point is, there is so much, a lot of what we know or think we know about Arnold Rothstein is kind of self-serving mm. um, PR from him and his camp. And it goes on to be kind of interesting. He gives like the portrait of Arnold Rothstein and then kind of breaks down. Uh, Rothstein, even in Eight Men Out, is presented as kind of a gambler, mm. you know, just a rich guy who knows how to gamble. Tasha says he was a, he was a gangster. He dealt heroin. Okay. Yeah, Lucky Luciano, uh, Meyer Lansky, and I think Joe Costello, like the three legendary, they were all protégés of Rothstein, who after Rothstein died, that's when they kind of had their heyday and all okay. that. So it was like, he, so he, he dealt heroin and he also gambled. So it was kind of, so he, he's, he points to there's more to it than that. But he just doesn't kind of weave it into a a satisfying biography of this person. And I think I think a lot of it is he doesn't want to glorify a gangster. Okay. He's he's like the the conventional narrative is wrong, you know. And I could maybe piece something together and give you a good he kind of flat out says I could give you a good story, but do I really want to do that? Cause that wouldn't be it might not be any more truthful than the legends that have been printed. Okay. So he kind of just, you can, it was fascinating to see him kind of build. You're like, oh, I see where this is going with all the gambling at the foot of the cross and the, you know, the gods and how legends are formed is kind of where I thought it was going. I'm like, oh man. And then he kind of just, he also has a little aside where it's like, my publishers tell me I sell 30,000, 30,000 books, no matter what, you know. Uh, you know, no matter how good, how long I work on it, how good I think they are, I sell 30,000. So he was kind of like, this is going to sell 30,000. And if we were, let's say we're back in the book, the bookshop, right? We're working. This sort yeah. of seems, you're trying to recommend this book. It almost seems like a deconstructed biography or a, yeah. it's a, like a meta, a meta sort of, yeah. Yeah. Nonfiction. So, so I, 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 I can't recommend it to newcomers 
don't start here with Tasha, start with Sonny Liston. Or okay. Dino. But if you like those books, I actually do recommend it. It's just different than what you think. And there's not a lot of the Arnold Rothstein stuff isn't really the point. He doesn't get into that too much. It's almost you're trusting Tosh as a writer, as a yeah. And he didn't almost his creative or his how he thinks about things, right? Maybe he made a book out of it. And I really do think he had a book deal, a contract to produce the work. And halfway through, he's like, I don't, I can't do your traditional thing. And then he just fulfilled his contract. And he's a good enough writer. You go along with him. Okay. But yeah, it's not a traditional thing. And I wound up not using too much of it for the eight men out because it wasn't really. It, it, it sounds interesting. It sounds actually fascinating just as a. He. You wouldn't want like, oh, I'm going to read a book about Arthur Ronson. And this probably wouldn't be the book you would choose, right? Yeah, it turns out not. If you had to do a book Arnold if you're Rusty, a fan no. of Nick Tosh's work, this would then be like highlight. This will be in the middle. It's, okay. Don't start with it, but if you like him, yeah. yeah I like it. Uh, let me go through some of the books I've written from the library, Matt. I'll, yeah. Let me do two. I have, let me count here. Um, three, four, five. I got about six or seven. Okay. So maybe how many more do you have? Oh, just a couple. You go, you go. Let me go here. Let me go back. Um, I'm kind of a a fan of nature books in general. Um, I, I, as a person, I kind of like the, I don't know how I would put it, like the fun fact aspect of it, sort of the wonder of nature. Like, oh, can you believe X, Y, and Z? There's more ants that, than people on earth you know those kind of like facts where it's like the david attenborough planet you know earth type stuff where they narrate the crazy facts about okay i I like uh, all that stuff and i think before i talk about this book if you're going to give it as a gift it's for the people who like nature or those types of of programs right the the nature the wonder of animals and their lives okay the book I'm talking about is, and it just came out this year, it's called An Immense World by Ed Young. Um, and it is about the different senses that animals have and how they perceive the world. Um, he makes a distinction of not trying to sort of take their senses and put them onto humans, right? So like, oh, if you had this sense, how would you perceive the world? It's more how these animals view their environment their world and it goes through i would guess almost a dozen different kind of like senses um in each chapter and it's just fascinating and it's full of insights it's full of footnotes it's full of you can tell you're you're in the hands of like a person who has done a ton of research who's talking who's talked to a ton of scientists who knows these sort of fields um very well so it's it's endlessly fascinating and it's um it's a book that's been highly you know praised and sort of kind of why i picked it up from the library is i saw these positive reviews but i just to echo those reviews it's a fantastic nature book but also i would say the i would give this book to someone who is maybe in 
college or high school or I, I I feel like it's a good book for a kind of a younger person to kind of be like to you know keep up their interest in maybe the natural sciences is it's sort of kind of how I placed it in my gift who would I who would I buy this book for I loved it I'm not you know a young 20 something year old but um it's a it's a really good book um it's yeah. almost a book that, like you would want in your house as sort of like maybe my kid will eventually read this book and, and fall in love with it, like nature and animals okay. and all that kind of stuff. So are there pictures? There are no pictures. Ooh. My one drawback is I, I mentioned footnotes. The footnotes are like very in depth and they kind of break the rhythm of reading. Are they sense? actually at the bottom of the page? Not at the back. Yes, they are at the bottom. If I remember correct. Yes. Um, but there is just an incredible amount of information about, animals you know from all uh you know in the sea mammals all that kind of stuff so uh that is an immense world highly recommend it my next one is kind of the biggest surprise i've, I've read it's called life on the mississippi by rinker buck this is a book that i thought was going to be kind of straightforward basically the author decides to take a flatboat book from kind of near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, down the Ohio River, meets up with the Mississippi, goes all the way down to New Orleans. And it's going to be like, like a, a flatboat, like old yeah. an old timey. Yes. So he gets it constructed. He has uh, various people help him along the way. In, in my mind, I thought, okay, this is going to be a general thin, maybe look at sort of his troubles and his adventures and stuff like that. This book, is a fantastic history of the importance of that kind of boat on the Mississippi, Ohio, like in America, he, he places that book and how it affected trade and expansion um, very well. It talks, but he's also a very good like travel log. I guess you would kind of think of, he actually takes the boat this way and his experiences. So it succeeds on many levels. And that was the biggest surprise. I liked the author Rinkerbuck as a person, how he kind of tells the story. So it, the book works in, in my mind in two ways, sort of as a history and a travel um, kind of travelogue story type thing, a unique one. Um, I think it's a book you would really like. Yeah. Um, it's I just, like, go ahead. Oh, I was, I like those sort of, uh, first person narratives where the author does something kind of crazy or unusual i, I think yeah i do too but it, this the book is that plus a lot of history that i wasn't expecting i guess yeah so, I mean, when you do it well you can weave in the history yeah. of the places as you pass or however you do it i, I like that sort of and thing. it's i think it's it's one of my top 10 books i've read this year it was i was very surprised about how, how much i liked it so part of your streak yeah part of my streak uh let me do one more before i go back to you and this is another history book so we kind of I, I was on a non-fiction kick here um and this book is a world war ii book it's called black snow by james scott and it is about the Curtis LeMay and the decision to firebomb Japan essentially before the dropping of the atomic bomb. Um, an excellent book that goes into sort of the personalities in the United States military, Air Force, 
and sort of the the progression that led to firebombing Japan, which was a catastrophic, you know, civilians were just killed yeah. in the ass. Um, and it kind of goes into the, the like the people who ultimately decided to do that. And it, it, I mean, it's if you think about oh, it, Jane, who else is in it? LeMay well, and Chris LeMay. And there's a person I can't remember the name. Chris LeMay replaces somebody who tried to implement strategic like um, pinpoint bombing, essentially, yeah. so that they wouldn't target civilians. Um but it transitions from that being unsuccessful to Curtis LeMay's decision to basically just burn Japanese cities to the ground and kill. Um, and it culminates in Tokyo and it's a, um, Scott does a fantastic job of describing a horrific scene of this just, you know, you're, you're reading it. You're just like, I, cause he takes, you know, accounts from survivors and it's just a, uh, you're just kind of left depressed and just <laughs> it's a it's a it's a depressing book in a lot of ways but it's i think it's an important book um and if to recommend a world war ii fan i think this book would would appeal to them or any sort of like history uh person who, who's vaguely familiar with world war ii or if they're buffs i think this book would be a, an addition so either or so those are um Three books, nonfiction books I highly recommend. So cool. I still have more, but Matt, let's go back to you. Well, that is a perfect transition into some of the audio books I've been doing. <laughs> Seriously, because I've been on a bit of a World War II kick as well. So have you heard the thing? It, it's like, uh, it's like a cliche. As a dude, a man approaches 40, starts to, to either get into World War II or the Civil War. Yeah, I don't think I've heard that, but it makes sense. Yeah. Well, it was like said as a joke, and I'm, you know, it's a specifically American thing with the Civil War. But you know, you kind of feel the urge to like get really into some sort of big historical event. I'm feeling that itch, and it's kind of sneaking up. I was like looking back on what I've been listening to for this episode. I'm like, oh man, yeah, I'm doing a lot of uh, World War II stuff. So I started. I did my little Rose, the War of the Roosevelts thing. Mm-hmm. And that got me kind of into FDR. And I had a, I listened to a poli- FDR political biography by Robert Dalek. Okay. Which I really ate up. That was just about his political life and his strategizing and all that stuff. And, and that led to like a good portion of it took place during World War II. And yeah. FDR is kind of the, the commander in chief during that time and that led me to another book called the generals by winston groom which i just finished and that was fascinating i didn't think i'd like that as much as i did it's a three-part like biographical sketch of Patton, douglas MacArthur, and george marshall okay you kind of weaves their stories and their lives together really well that was it was fascinating i didn't know that i'd, I'd enjoy it as much as i did does it, was, it go into like their pre-World War II days and what? Yeah, well, it starts okay. with, it was just, it's like a biographical sketch of all okay. three. But they were all born in, I, around the 1880s. Douglas MacArthur was an, his dad was in the army. He was born on the plains while his dad was fighting the Indian Wars. Oh, wow. 
You know what I mean? And he comes the guy who won the Pacific Theater in World War II. So it's kind of a fascinating, like at the time, he was born in Arkansas on, hmm. you know, in the time of Custer and Sitting Bull and all that. Um, yeah, it was, and it goes, they all went to West Point. They all kind of, and he does a good job of scat, like Patton was the most interesting of the two. He was, you know, kind of fiery and spicy and really good tactician, but he always putting his foot in his mouth and, MacArthur, who I kind of growing up, I kind of didn't like MacArthur. I was going to say he was, he always seemed from like history class to be the braggadocious sort of. Yeah. And he was, but he groomed, paints him as kind of, he's more interesting. He was pretty egotistical. And, you know, his, the big thing is he got fired, but Truman had to fire him because he wasn't obeying orders. I, I get there's probably more detail to it than that. Uh, but MacArthur is a very interesting character too and Marshall never got to see he kind of wanted to see combat but he was such a brilliant logistics guy okay that he kind of he was he kept asking to get like even in World War One he's like I want to can I command some troops in combat and he was always told like no we you're you're too good at organizing and so he kind of and he went on he is he was secretary of defense secretary of state you know the marshall plan all that but it was it was fascinating stuff and uh it made me i went out and got uh william manchester's american caesar biography of just macarthur okay that audio which i'm looking forward to it i literally have uh, another book just on yalta called eight days at yalta just the whole book breaking down yalta and i'm i'm not even being ironic like a snarky or ironic i'm really looking forward to it <laughs> so that whole cliche is like okay i guess i'm just the old well dude he's really into world war ii now but i think that the book i read the war on nerves kind of like the cold war, war book it started with yalta and sort of how yeah. how they kind of perceived each other at that and sort of it kind of about yeah yeah well because a lot of especially like american conservatives look at it as just how what a waste we gave the soviets too much territory and it it looks like that now Mm -hmm. but you forget at the time the war was still going on we needed russia to turn we wanted them to turn around to declare one japan because we basically had the nazis beat yeah but we still had to beat japan and so, and also Stalin had armies ready to go. People are like, we should have turned around and just fought him right then and there. It's like, it might've been a pretty bloody stale, you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't as simple as like, oh no, you guys have to retreat back to the Soviet Union because they had their armies. You know, it, I, I get, yeah. I'm, I'm curious what the Yalta book does. So in hindsight, you could say we shouldn't have given up so much, but you know, the context of the time was. Yeah. It is exactly that, power politics. That's, that does sound like a fascinating book and i have not had the revolutionary war aspect of my life i've i've kind of been always in the world war ii like interest of books and movies and tv shows yeah. but i was never i grew up in a lot of world war ii movies i was always more interested in the european theater yeah the pacific stuff especially the macarthur parts made the pacific seem kind of sounds like a nightmare to be a soldier fighting it oh yeah but it seems very interesting like there was a description of uh what it was like on papua new guinea after in after uh he had to ret- 
MacArthur and his troops had to retreat from uh, the Philippines. And he did his famous I shall return thing. Mm-hmm. They went to Papua New Guinea. That sounds so scary. It's like a, the guy was just, Winston Groom was describing how the, it was really hot. Everybody had malaria. Is the jungle. There were poisonous snakes and spiders everywhere. There was like a five foot tall bird that runs around and its talons are literally the shy, like the size of knives and they just slash you. It was like an aggressive bird that would just slash you up. There was like a this one soldier was found basically flattened, like his bones were crushed and all the blood was out of him. And he's just a snake, a big old gigantic python just crushed him in his sleep. It was so. <laughs> Yeah, it was was, uh, uh, the example he chose, you know, there was just the two units from uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota, the little army reserve units, and they were all sick with malaria. But I was thinking, like, how scary would it be? You know, Pearl Harbor happens, you get, you know, all fired up to go join the army. And then you're sent to Papua New Guinea and you're crushed to death by snakes and you got this wild bird. You know, you just go from Wisconsin to can i talk about a book um that is related to kind of this and it's from the author i just talked about of black snow james scott he has a book that i want to read it's called rampage and the subtitle is called macarthur yamashita and the battle of manila so i don't know if you want to put that on but that sounds like right up your alley about it i'll put it on the list because i think it goes Uh, in sort of the the horrors of like what happened in manila like the what the Japanese army did and all that kind of yeah because then yeah it, yeah it wasn't the 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 death march the baton death march it was it's pretty great it's not all as fun as uh uh Kelly's heroes and the dirty yeah. dozen stuff it was pretty uh pretty heavy stuff it's, it's, I mean I'm yeah okay. I'm also excited kind of uh on Instagram there's a uh, Dale Jenkins who's a commander in the navy oh yeah yeah, about the war in the Pacific. I think he's gonna. They haven't arrived, but his agent said he'd send us two copies and be open for an interview. So that's a, that's that's really good timing because we go. this World War II stuff now. So all right, so we that that does that actually sounds like right up my alley. Been on a World War II kick, kick listening to audiobooks. I like it. Let me do a couple fiction recommends for you um first of all kate atkinson who's a very famous author um life after life is kind of funny i read life after life i did not like it yeah and it asked kind of like her i don't know if that was her breakout success it was kind of the book that first i kind of heard about and i thought it was overly long it was kind of repetitive um the book is kind of in nature supposed to be repetitive but it just didn't click with me. I read, I didn't give her up completely. I read Transcription, which came out a few years ago. I liked it more. She just had a new book out called Shrines of Gaiety. And it's fantastic. It's a um, kind of a historical novel about uh, in the 1920s. So after World War One in London, this kind of family that runs nightclubs in London. And it is a huge cast of characters um and sort of you know some of the family some of the kind of people drawn to the nightlife that they kind of run some of the people who are trying to stop the nightlife um it's just a huge hugely enjoyable novel um it's one of those 
maybe you read five novels a year. I would say this novel would would be a good like read this novel. You'll enjoy it. It's well written. The story's entertaining. It's just a, a, a it's a Kate Atkinson is a very good author, and it's a good author working well. Right? Does that make sense? So it's like yeah. you're in good hands with this with uh, Kate Atkinson. So. Uh, Next up is a bit of a sort of, uh, I think it's a debut, short stories. Um, it's called Stories from the Tenants Downstairs by Sadiq Fofana. Um, and it takes place, all these sort of stories are interconnected in a sort of high rise in Harlem. Um, it kind of, he takes on the voice of sort of these different characters from this high rise there. And it's, my thinking going into reading the book was, oh, it's just going to be, he's going to capture the voice of these people, but maybe the stories are not going to be as, you know, it's a debut. Maybe the stories aren't going to be as well developed or thought out. Um, he captures the voice perfectly. The stories are fascinating and like the variety of stuff that he, he covers in these, it's not a very long book. I think it's probably like 200 some pages. Uh but it is definitely check it out if you're looking for a new kind of contemporary voice for um, fiction, I guess. Because I would imagine he's going to get a book deal to write a novel or more short stories. So um, that's definitely one to keep an eye on. So I did hear about that. I, did, I, I found a review on uh, Kirkus Reviews and uh, online sort of on bookmarks where they compile all the yeah. All the kind of different reviews from across the internet. I saw that he was getting good reviews, so I put in a a, a hold at the library, and it's uh, it's a five star uh, pretty good book for me. So, uh, if you're looking for something contemporary, um, that is a good selection. Now I have two left. Do you have any more? I know this, this is a fairly long episode, but you know, yeah. Right. No, do your two, and I'll I'll wrap up. Let me go back to nonfiction. And I read uh, David Quammen's new book, Breathless, which is the scientific race to defeat a deadly virus, which is about COVID-19. Um, and it is a fascinating book about, it's more about the science of the virus, not so much the policy around the virus. Does that make sense? Yeah. So he's more concerned about the genetic how this virus came to be. And he is a well-respected writer and reporter in this field. So he has a lot of contacts and he, he kind of writes this story arc about how this virus was a result of sort of these, these viruses being in it, you know, SARS or MERS or all that kind of stuff um, being around for a while. And eventually these viruses were going to mutate to a point where they were going to be easily transmittable. And it's, I mean, if you're, uh, we live in this time, so I think most people will be kind of interested in sort of the science behind it all. So it, I think it's a, a book a lot of people would enjoy. As far as the science stuff, it's uh, it's not too technical. He kind of admits when it gets a little too technical and he says, you know, I won't get into like the the, you know, minute details of what's going on here, but he does a good job of describing the virus and how it mutated and all this stuff and how it became the kind of the world killer that it did. So, yeah, you uh, should follow along. 
I could listen to your head. And I'm not, you know, you listen to this podcast. I'm not some sort of scientific <laughs> genius. Um, the last book I read recently, um, it's called The Escape Artist by Jonathan Friedland. And it's about the, the subtitle is The Man Who Broke Out of Auschwitz to, to, war, to Warn the World. And it is a, an account of a 19-year-old guy who, along with an, another person, escaped from Auschwitz sort of in 19, I think it was 1944, um, with the explicit desire to tell people, hey, um, it's it's a fascinating book on a many, it's, and it's a very depressing book, as you would think an Auschwitz book would yeah. be, but basically he goes into detail or the author does about um the kind of main character actually changed his name after he escaped so it's a kind of how do you refer to him as um how people who came to auschwitz had all their he thought it was the kind of the story is this guy is not sent to you know the gas chambers he's sent to like the work camps so he's one of the few who's kind of like like watching what's happening he's actually um remembering the numbers about like where they came from so if he would see after the after he escaped if he saw a number he could tell that person oh you were from this time frame when you came to Auschwitz because he would memorize oh like, like other survivors yeah like they would okay. do it the numbers would be like oh these certain group of people came from Hungary or these certain people came yeah, yeah. so he would it was like he was very detailed with the intent and purpose of eventually I will escape and then I will tell the world this is what's happening in Auschwitz. Like, yeah, they're not these, these aren't work camps, these are extermination camps. Um, and the whole story is just fascinating. His sort of end of life kind of is, is interesting as well, but it's a, I, I think it's a book that's it's important to kind of, um, I know people don't want to often read about Auschwitz. It's very heavy and depressing, but this is a, um, I think it's a, it's really well done and kind of an important book, but it's a. How do you, how do you escape? How do you get out? Tunnel? Um, it's fascinating. So basically they would, they took what they knew, what would happen if people tried to escape. So there was a, an inner place where sort of like the, you know, where their barracks were, where they like slept. And then mm. when they went out to work, they would expand the guards to the outer perimeter. Okay. So like the guards would set up a, yes. so there's no wire, but the guards would set up a, like a, well, they, no, there was based. Well, oh, yeah, okay. there was no wire, but they were, there was like towers or whatever. Um, so what they did was there was like a wood pile and they kind of, built this or like a previous people who tried to escape built this thing where you would hide under this um kind of like wood pile okay now what would happen is the germans they would do a roll call at the end of the night and if they thought someone had escaped they would put sort of the camp on a three-day lockdown so essentially what they did is they had to stay in this hole for three days after three days the Germans would think, okay, there's no one, we can't find them, or they whatever. Oh, okay. So he's hiding. And then they would way. at the end of the they would have to escape on the fourth night because on the fourth night they would the guards would come back into the inner camp and surround the the bunkers and leave where they worked kind of exposed. 
Okay. So then they got out and, but once they got out, it's, it's kind of incredible um, how they did it. But once they got out, they had to travel, you know, hundreds of miles through territory where people weren't really willing to help them except for a few people. So that's kind of how they did it is they had to wait three days underground in a cramped space. He, he and this other guy until lockdown and okay we'd have to lock down basically so that sounds fascinating and what i just said was it's kind of explained in like the first 10 pages so i'm not like revealing anything about how they escaped but uh it's a it's a it's a really it's a really good book i mean it's not light reading but it's really good so yeah all right matt any more secondary reads yeah, I'll, I'll wrap it up here. Okay. Uh, I'll push one thing back because I kind of want to go into depth. It's it's like interesting. thought it was kind of going to be like a health nutrition type book, but it actually wound up being a lot more than that. But I'll push it back because okay. we'll end up going over two and a half hours if I get into it. Um, I'll just real quickly, I also, so we watched, the wife and I watched that show, The Offer which is a behind the scenes making of the Godfather. Okay. It was a fun show. It is not going to change your life or anything, but it, it was fun. It was like the producer trying to get it made and his interactions with the real mafia. And at first they didn't like it and all this, but the legendary, the producer, Bob Evans, have you heard of Bob? Evans? Yeah. 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 You know, kind of a, it talks like the, it was a, the guy who played him in that show was really good. And it reminded me, I've heard other people recommend his book, his Bob Evans's memoir, The Kid Stays in the Picture. Yeah, I was going to say the yeah, okay. It's, I downloaded it on audio, on Audible. I'm listening to it when I walk around. It is so entertaining. <laughs> I'm not, I'm like 40% through, but it's it's really fun. Okay. Like, yeah, his, his memoir, just his memories of Hollywood and how that stuff really works and yeah, right. it, 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 I've, I've heard of that. I don't know where I've heard of that. The kids. It's fun. Were. It's it's like uh, I don't know. I don't know how to. And I always kind of saw pictures of him in, uh, when he was older. He frankly seemed kind of sleazy, mm-hmm. but he's more likable than just than you'd think. I don't know. It, it, whatever the offer that show made me want to listen to it, and he he reads it himself. Okay, and he's got kind of this old timey showbiz like voice. It's funny. <laughs> And he always asks questions like, did I, did I do it? Did I regret it? Yes. Was it stupid? Absolutely. Would I do it again? You bet, Bubby. You know, like that sort of thing. And it's really, it's actually kind of endearing. I don't know. It's, it's pretty entertaining. It made me want, I was like, I need to watch The Godfather again. And I have it on DVD and I went looking for it. And it's not, it's not in my DVD collection. I didn't steal it. You know why? No, you didn't steal it. I gave it to you two years ago to watch. I still have so it, it, don't I? It's at your house. So no, I know where it. Okay, it's it was fine. Okay. You need it. That's a separate. That's a whole separate thing. Because you've never seen The Godfather. I've not seen The Godfather. So you would not enjoy the show. I, I watched Goodfellas with you though. You did. Godfather's next. Maybe maybe when the Chiefs beat the Broncos, that can be our bet. Uh, the punishment is you have to watch the best movie of all time. That um, sounds like a rough punishment. Let's get into. We're almost at. We're over, almost coming up on an hour here, Matt. Do you want it? Let's get in some nominations. Yeah. Let's do this fairly quickly. Uh, I only have three right now. How okay. Are we doing? Okay. It's good. I have four. 
There's not a time limit. Nobody's going to turn into a pumpkin, but we'll 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 try to. We won't it's true. Um, let me start. I have a book. Actually, I was at the used bookstore today. Uh, kind of treat myself to some. I got some like mass market paperback books that were fairly cheap. This wasn't. This was fairly cheap, but it's not mass market. It's a. This isn't going to be a book. I think we pick. It's a bit on the heavy side. It's a bit on the, the depressing side. It ties into that book, The Escape Artist. Uh, the book is called Fateless by Emir Kurtza. Um, and it is a book about a Hungarian Jewish boy experiences in a German concentration camp. Um, so it's depressing. And yeah, um, yeah. I think, but I, I, I realized I had had it on my t- TBR on Goodreads for a while. So that's when I saw it, I thought, oh, oh I need yeah, to pick yeah. this up because I, it's one of those books I don't think you'll see very often. Maybe in a used bookstore, you probably have to buy it uh, online or something like that. But I found it, um, and it's it's not, you know it's going to be a depressing but an important book about you know uh, it's sort of autobiographical in nature. Uh, the author says it's not like completely taken from his life, but it's I don't know, but it's. It's a book I would just wanted to mention as far as sort of um so it's technically fiction. It is fiction, but, but it's it was, the author there. Yeah, he yeah. Uh the author won the 2002 Nobel Prize for literature. So oh, so it's he didn't write it at the time. I think this book came out in the 60s. Okay. Uh 1975. Okay, okay. Yeah. So more um, stuff. And won the Nobel Prize for his other stuff. You know, the Nobel Prize usually comes out at the, like the end of someone's like career. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Cool. So I just I know we're probably not going to read that because it's kind of maybe not you know what we're looking for this month. But I just wanted to mention as uh, you know, some people want to pick up the books we nominate but don't select. So that's called Fateless by Emir Kurtza. I don't know if I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but that's my first nomination. So I think with the escape artist, but yeah. A lot of World War II stuff going on. Why World War II books we're doing? We really are pushing middle age. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Matt, give me your uh, first nomination. Okay, so I was kind of usually in November. I would go for, I like to push for spy stories. Okay. We've done spy stories the last two. And for whatever reason, I got it into my head that like autumn and November is like a very espionage month. But we do the thriller corner mm-hmm. over on Patreon. And so I was thinking we'll push spy stories into our next thriller corner. Okay. So our next thriller will be the spy. So I was like, okay, what else is november What else is... And so I was thinking of uh, some fantastical, magical type stuff. Okay. That's my roughly, my, I, have, I have four. I was just watching I, Harry Potter before we started this. Yeah. Kind of magical. Yeah. You've heard of those books. They're kids' books. I, anyway, but like uh, so November, the, yeah. the world of magic, Peter. The world that's of my, magic. I like it. That's my. Uh, that's your so the first, I guess I'll start with. That's your this yeah, the world of magic, Peter. World of magic, Peter. Uh, magic, comma, Peter. Not the world of magic, Peter. Okay. The world. Okay. 
Uh, let's start with this one. This is, I know we did a kid's book last month. Okay. So we want to do two kid's books in a row. We've talked about doing this for a while. Uh, you've never read it. I grew up reading it. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Oh, okay. C.S. Lewis. Book one. We're starting with Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Because it's... I hate this new the new editions the reprint the the newer prints start with the magician's nephew as number one but that is not the order magician's nephew is number six you start with book one which is lion the witch the wardrobe i've not read it it's uh yeah yeah it's good i have nothing else to say about i haven't read it bunch of kids hey i i just thought of it you don't think of it as a world war ii book but a bunch of kids need to, it takes place in World War II during the Blitz and the parents send their four kids out to the countryside. So they're out of the out of harm's way. There's a magical wardrobe. They're playing hide and seek one day, magic wardrobe through the mat to the land of Narnia, Peter, where it's always winter, but never Christmas. Okay. I don't know if they have Thanksgiving food or not. <laughs> That's a good, that's a strong nomination. That's a book I I would like to read. Um, good. I like that strong. Um, my next one, I'm willing to kind of play with this nomination a little bit. I kind of want to read the author again. Um, a kind of a big figure in American literature. I haven't read him in a long time. I kind of uh, I read him in my teens and early 20s. And the book I'm going to nominate, but I'm willing to sort of maybe if you're interested in another of his works, uh, I'd be interested in that. And that is Tortilla Flat by John Steinbeck. A book I feel like I've read, but I don't remember. Um, I'd have to double check. Um, sort of a, are you familiar with the book, Matt? No, but I'm familiar with Steinbeck being just very depressing. Oh, is that, how's the I don't see it that way. Um, above, I'll read the back of the book to you. Above the town of Monterey on the co- on the California coast lies the shabby district of Tortilla Flat, inhabited by a colorful gang who revels recalled the exploits of King Arthur's knights, soft-hearted, unquestioningly loyal to one another, and in complete disregard of social conventions and expectations. The gutsy denizens of Tortilla Flat cheerfully reside in a world of idyllic poverty. Idyllic? Idyllic. Okay. I've had two glasses of wine while we record this. It's <laughs> <laughs> so anilic? I thought okay. I was doing pretty well. I was like, I, I'm not the strongest uh, you know, reader here, man. Come on now. That actually sounds kind of good. It does. And I have it in my head that Steinbeck's a bummer because when we were kids, my parents started reading us The Red Pony. And my memory of that book is just the most depressing stuff happens. And this kid, everything in this kid's life goes wrong, but at least he has his little red pony that he loves. And I mean, that does sound like a book. I remember me and my brother saying, because it's so sad. And then we were like, okay, if the pony dies, I think think we're going to be done with this book. And sure enough, the pony dies. And so that was... That was my, th- that's why, that's probably why I've been so hesitant to read Steinbeck the rest of my Have life. you read any Steinbeck except for The Red Pony? Uh, the Moon is Down. Oh. And half of The Red Pony until The, the Pony Grapes dies. of Wrath is a, fin- I mean, that was a early I, on. 
reading, trying to read the classics. I mean, we should have at some point. Yeah. 50, maybe read that book. So I like a modern retelling of King Arthur's Knights, though. That's, That's what I thought would appeal to you. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That's where I picked it because I had Cannery Row. I didn't want to do The Grapes of Wrath. It's too long. Got yeah. East of Eden. Okay. Do you own a copy that could sweeten? No. Okay. No, I could find one though. I could find All one. All right. Give me, uh, give me, your, give me two more. Give me two before. Two more. Do no, one more, and then you'll do your fourth. I said I had four. I'm gonna kick a GK Chesterton maybe the next month. Okay. So, just, so you'll just have three. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's do. You've heard of Guy Gabriel K? I I have the name. I have science fiction, right? No, not really. Fantasy? No, not science fiction at all. Fantasy, technically. They read like historical fiction, but he changes the names and makes just maybe a tad of the supernatural, like maybe a ghost or something will show up, but nothing to, it calls it historical fantasy, which sounds weird, but it's actually, it's kind of historical fiction, but the names of the countries are like slightly different. But if you look at the map, at the beginning of the book, you're like, oh, that's Italy. Oh, okay. So this one. Can I stop you? I kind of like that. It's good. No, it's so cool. Because I'm can, a map weirdo when I read fantasy, and I'm always like, the map <laughs> yep. makes sense or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, if yeah. it's like a historical, I like it. Yeah. No, his last his last few have taken place it, in basically Renaissance Italy, but it's okay. not called Italy. It's called, like, I forget. But, you know, but if you look at the map at the beginning, it's like okay, I know where this is. They're they're really good. He's a very entertaining. He's a good writer. Did you know he was a when he was in college, he helped Christopher Tolkien uh, edit the Silmarillion. Really, like Tolkien's assistant. Huh. Yeah, and so he kind of went on to write his own set of fantasy novels. My favorite of his is The Lions of Al Rasan which is basically medieval Spain, but, you know, okay. but that's not what, that's not what I'm nominating unless that catches your fancy. I'd happily read that again, but he's got a new one. Um, it, it takes place. It's the third in his um, sequence, but it's not a C it's like a standalone. We could start with it if you wanted. It's called all the seas of the world. All the seas. Of the world. Yeah. On a dark night along a lonely stretch of coast, a small ship sends two people ashore. Their purpose is assassination. They've been hired by two of the most dangerous men alive to alter the balance of power in the world. If they succeed, the consequences will affect the destinies of empires and lives, both great and small. That's about it. The assassins in medieval Italy, but it's not called Italy. It'll be called something else why did i think this person was not alive <laughs> i don't he's alive he's still going no i uh, he, this book came out in may 17th of 2022 yeah as a sort of non i don't dip into the realm of fantasy all that often i like yeah. it but sometimes I, I think i see names i'm like i think that person's probably dead oh yeah. i did not know this author was still writing books so if he's canadian so he's up north and kind of out of sight, out of mind. So but I can this... highly recommend his books. Uh, like I say, it's not even all that fantastical. Uh, it'll seem pretty. Michael big. Shabon is the is the blurb on the front of this book, man. Yeah. Did you know people, that? People who know 
No, they like they like the guy Gabriel K. So is this a standalone book or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be a standalone. It it takes place in the same context. His last two have been in kind of this era or whatever, but it's we could start with it. Or I guess if you wanted to do lines of Alrasan, we could do that. Let me see. But this is his new one. Okay, this is very intriguing. See, I like this. I like someone. I, there's, I've seen the name a dozen times, but I don't. I, you're the first person to be like, "Hey, we should read this." And that's mm-hmm. what I need. They're worthwhile. They're good. They're good. All right, that's a strong. All the all the seas of the world. Okay, uh, I have a fantasy book as my last choice, Matt. Hey. Um, I didn't realize this, but apparently my father-in-law is a huge fan of this author and I believe of this series. Um, and that is, the book is called Dragonflight and it is the first book in the Dragon Riders of Pern series by Anne McCaffrey. Yeah, yeah. Heard of her. You've heard of her. Kind of, well, no, kind of like you were with Guy Gabriel Kay. Like, okay, yeah. I've had that recommended to me a lot. I of think people. she was the first female author to win the two the Nebula, the kind of two main um fantasy book prize i had it written down but i don't know where the hugo yeah so she in the nebula so this yeah. my wife had i found this and this is the first book she had the third book on her bookshelves and i was kind of like i want to read these but i don't obviously don't want to start with the third book so i found the first book okay. um i thought maybe it'd be fun to start a uh kind of like a fantasy series maybe we read one or two a year because there's a, a lot of these books in this series um so that was my last nomination dragon dragon light by ann mccaffrey nice so that's a good one i, I kind of like where we're going here with a little genre oh, here i like it magic all right give me your last nomination man all right this is a good one too this might be the one i'd push for yeah. I don't know. All right. We'll we'll see. This is I've read it, but it's kind of it's, it's like Piranesi. It's like a puzzle. Okay. It's like a it's a got me intrigued. So it, it's called The Sorcerer's House by Gene Wolfe. It's it, it, I don't know. I, I don't know how much to describe without giving it away. And I honestly don't think I could give it away if I tried because there's a lot going on here. But it's essentially a guy just gets out of prison and is told from his point of view, like he's writing letters to his brother, uh-huh. you know, he inherits this house. And then he starts, it's, it's kind of like a weird Narnia type thing. Like there's this, uh, there's a magical element to the house. And in the back, there's this other world and this wizard. And we kind of, we go through that. And then by the end, you're kind of wondering how much of this is real? How much of this is him making it up for his brother? How much of this is an allegory? Like what is the type of thing you probably have to read a couple of times to, to get it. Okay. But it's fascinating. I'd be willing to give another go. It's like one of those uh, tricky, you know, puzzle type books. We'd really have to, okay i like that i like to kind of ponder the big risk would be that it's entertaining but it's not it's entertaining too it's not it's just tricky the way it's structured and 
how much of this is real? How much of this is this guy just? But you like that. You like the. I like that. You like the element of what's going on. But it's not. We'd be on our own, and we'd have to talk about it and risk kind of looking dumb. Dumb. Okay, I see what your worries are. But, but it's fun. It's good. The the Sorcerer's House by Gene Wolfe. Sorcerer's House by Gene Wolfe. I see it here. Okay. We got. I think we got tricky here. Um. Let's see here. I will say, initially, my first reaction to your list is, and my list too, is All the Seas of the World by Guy Gabriel K. It was my kind of the one that piqued my interest the most. It might be because I thought he was dead and he's not dead. He's alive and you're so happy. <laughs> and he's alive and he's still writing books. I had no idea. Um, something. That might sound like I'm just a complete idiot, but sometimes you, you see these series and you're like, oh, when did this book come out? You're like, oh, 1972. You're like, oh, I thought this was, you know. Yeah, yeah. his first books did come out a long time ago. So Let me look it up to see if I'm not a complete you know, moron about. Um, let's see here. Well, Don't be hard on yourself. You can't keep, I was, track. Well, I, you can't keep track of who's dead and who's 68 alive. years old. Okay, let's see when his first book was. Um he wrote the Funivar Tapestry uh, in the 80s. 70s, 80s, 80s. So it's getting up there, you know. It's not recent, recent. So it's all right. You don't have to beat yourself up for not knowing. Now, you can't get all the Canadians. This says that All the Seas of the World is a sequel to Children of Earth and Sky. Yeah, but like I said, it. It's, Which takes place in the same world as the lines of Al Rasan. Like I say, it's a standalone. There's not. Are you it sure it's a standalone? Yes. Well, I get confused. No. We could do the lines of Al Rasan if you want to, though. That's a fun one. He does tweet about the World Cup, which is. He's Canadian. He's Canadian. The rest of the world likes soccer. Well, they, the people listen. They don't even do Thanksgiving in Canada. There you go. So he has probably we'd have to convince him on our TV show idea. I wonder if he'd help us sell that to the Food Network. Where where are you? Where are you on the? the I roll with you on Gabriel K. Uh, of yours, tortilla flat was kind of tempting. Okay, McCaffrey would be fun. Line the witch in the wardrobe. I've never read. See, that would be good too. What do you think we get the best content, the best show out of? We can't do that. What's the best episode in a month? Um, I don't know. Because I, I didn't know you you read a guy, Kiwi, okay? I'd be honest with you. Why didn't you ever recommend him to me? I think I'm pretty sure I have. Have you? You just weren't listening. It's entirely possible. <laughs> it's very good. No, I liked. I started with uh, under the banner of heaven, which is kind oh. of how I figured out what he's doing. Is like this seems like ancient Chinese history. Is oh, it, it kind of is. It's just a different. He names everything. He shifts it. There's a, there's like a ghost, or like a ghost, a land inhabited by ghosts, but not in a weird. It, hard to describe, but. But I read those, and then I read the Fionavar Tapestry, and then I read all the stuff that takes place in, like, Italy. Uh, it is very good. 
it, it's, it's like a struggle fiction. Um, the uh, I don't know why I clicked on the Target link to this book, um, okay. and its suggested age is very weird. Okay, um, its suggested age is twenty-two years and up. That is a weird twenty-two, not twenty-one. Not eight, not eighteen. Not eighteen. Not 20, sixteen. Twenty-two. Once you graduate college, don't be reading this in college. Don't read this in college. 18. Are you twenty? No. Don't you're do not it. Ready. You're not ready. You're going to be so confused. You're not going to be able to grasp. This is a new book. We don't usually do new books, too. It, relatively new. I mean, this year new. You want to just do it? Let's just yeah. Do let's do it. We're over. We're over twenty-two. We're over twenty-two. Twenty-two. This episode is over an hour long. That which is okay. I know. We I know. have anything going on. Rules. So all the seas of the world by Guy Gabriel Clay. K. K. I said Clay. You know I'm gonna mess that up. Okay, good. I like that. We'll keep Narnia in our back pocket. We'll get to that eventually. I think we get, keep the McCaffrey in mind definitely keep the sorcerer's house in mind that'd be fun to do at some okay. point I want, let's keep mccaffrey in mind too okay yeah because yeah. my father-in-law he was the one that i took his like um sometimes a great notion is one of his favorite books okay nice so. are you gonna be in trouble if we don't do that no no i think i'll impress him at uh thanksgiving when he sees this and they go, oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, leave it out. Leave That's it out. cool. I, uh, at your wedding, your wife introduced me to him. Yeah. And he was, he's very nice. Very nice. But he, uh, he was like, hey, yeah, I've heard your voice because he's listening to the, the show sometimes, I guess. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I, I heard your voice. It's nice to put a face to it. And I was like, hey, is it what you expected? And just the length and the nature of his pause and the way he was looking at me when he said no. I was like, okay, I better not push this any further because I don't think he's the type of guy who would spare my ego. Was <laughs> so it what you expected? Long pause. No. Okay. Okay. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> I pulled a 180 and that's, that was big. That was big. In front of him? Yes. Yes. Nice. Yeah. But no. Uh, yeah. We'll get to McCaffrey. Okay. We have to. Yeah, I think we do. <laughs> One of his favorite authors. So. Um, all right. This has been a fun episode. I hope so. We've talked about a lot of books. We've talked about Thanksgiving food. It's not underrated. Stop being on the internet saying, oh, mashed potatoes are bad. Don't be, yeah, don't be a contrarian. If, if you are a contrarian, tell us what your favorite foods are, and people will disagree with that and say, "Oh, I don't like that food." But you know, it's you gonna have pizza on Thanksgiving. Yeah, you want to have you want to. Pilgrims did not have pizza. It's true. So we've talked a lot about some books that uh, I think to either yourself read or to give as a gift. I think we've done that. So we've provided a service, right? And then we've picked a entertaining book about a guy who's not dead that I did not know. Yeah. Also positive. It's always good to find that out. Um, 
and a new author for me, not for you. You haven't, obviously, you haven't read this book, right? I haven't have read you, this book, no. Have you read the Suppose You Say It's Standalone? I'm going to hold you to that. It's, it'll be fine. Okay. I'm going to read two books, right? I just know how it, how it works. I've read some of his other, like, takes place in the same world part of the. Okay. And it's like, you don't, there may be, like, neat little. Like, oh, that character's this person's grandfather or whatever, but it's nothing you're not gonna it's not gonna take a little bit like maybe David Mitchell would be in a sense, kind something of like that. Yeah, okay. not even that, not even that many times. Okay. So you'll I, you'll be fine. All right. So we have that. Uh we also have Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead coming up. We have the Master Margarita, Lions of Lucerne, which I've started and enjoying quite a bit. Um then we have some other books that I keep mentioning, but I don't know. We will get to them at some point. Life and Fate, Once the Future King, Iron Weed by William Kennedy. Um, but who knows when we'll get to those books. But we will get to them. What do uh, Sword in the Stone halfway soon? Yes. Sooner than life. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Lines of Lucerne, hopefully. I got... That was a fun book. I got some thoughts. Yeah. It's... Uh, yeah. I like it. It's... Uh, <laughs> keep going yeah okay. it'll, be some, it'll be a good episode it's i can already i can already feel the like <laughs> that's i don't know about that <laughs> yeah but i kind of like i kind of like that feeling when reading a book where you're just like ah, that's i don't know about just, just, just keep just keep going is all i have just wait just wait until like the second to last scene. How, what, did, I won't say it. Just, you know. It'll don't be ruin it. Don't ruin it. So that will be, and that's over on our Patreon too. So that's where we read our thrillers. So uh, we start thinking about spy books to nominate. That'll probably come up. That'll be our next little deal. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, it's been a fun episode. As always, uh, feel free to get in contact with us on our social media. Send us book suggestions. Um, if you've read any of the books or you're interested, follow along and, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's the holiday season. So yeah. Anyway, Matt, any final thoughts? No, enjoy your Thanksgiving and your Thanksgiving foods. Uh, if you're listening to this after Thanksgiving, I hope you're enjoying the leftovers. Yeah. You know, and, uh, we will talk to you soon.